Welcome to the Feeding and Leading Podcast, featuring Todd Fisher and Andy Taylor, a podcast for church leaders focusing on expository preaching, pastoral leadership, and ministry. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Feeding and Leading Podcast. My name is Todd Fisher. I'm here with Andy Taylor. Andy, how's it going, man? Very good. Well, good. Well, today we're going to tackle a a, a preaching topic, and we're going to talk about outline, Mm -hmm. uh, how you would develop an outline or what we might call an exegetical outline Mm -hmm. that's uh, shaped, kind of driven, derived from the text itself. Um, I I think sometimes, Andy, I, I I may hear the 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 two of the biggest things I hear that are challenges for, for expositional preachers, uh, probably the number one thing is application. That's yeah. probably the first challenge. I, yeah, for I, sure. I, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. But the, the other one is, is, is the, the outline, Yeah. How, how I write an outline, more so than even writing what a CIT would be, the central idea of the text. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably hear about application. I hear about outlines. So we wanted to do this episode today um, talking about outlines. Um, I, I think outlines are very important in a sermon, an expositional sermon, because it it helps you. It helps do two things. It helps you stay um, in line with the passage of scripture, the flow of the passage of scripture, the organization of the passage of scripture you're preaching, and then it also gives just organization to the sermon. You know, the homiletic idea in general. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm trying to say by that is we, we've all heard sermons. We've all heard speeches. We've all heard people even just in personal communication. And the one thing that's difficult to hear, a, 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 a sign of poor communication, is someone who is rambling. Right, which some people may say I'm doing right now, <laughs> but you, you all, we've all heard it. We've heard a sermon. He's like, you, you listen to a sermon and you walk out of there and you go, man, that guy was all over the place. Right, he was over here, he was over here, and when you when you hear the whole message and you step back, you go, um, you know, what was the flow of that thing? Yeah, and here's the thing that I think is a, a key issue, Andy, with outline and 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 biblical preaching is is generally when you hear a sermon that's not well organized and it was just a shotgun approach, it was chasing mm-hmm. rabbits, it was all of that, at the end of that, you generally don't know what the CIT was. Right. If you don't know the argument the guy's making and the flow, mm-hmm. then you start getting real fuzzy on well, what was the main point of that passage. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we we all – communicate better when it's organized, when it mm-hmm. has a flow, yep. and people hear communication better yes. when it's done in that way. Yeah. I think back to the mantra that we beat over and over again uh, in our preaching podcast that we've done, I-, I believe that the CIT, the central idea of the text, is so key to this. Um and I would look at this – I'm going to back up for a second to the CIT. I would look at, at, at an outline from this perspective that a CIT, the central idea of the text, is not just the beginning 
of where you're going to start your springboard to jump off and go. It's actually the destination that you're trying mm-hmm. to arrive at. Mm-hmm. If you would look at the central idea of the text as the destination that you're trying to travel to, then you could look at the sermon outline as road markers, mm-hmm. mile markers that are getting you to that final destination. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, the times where I struggle trying to get that outline nailed down is usually I'm probably a little fuzzy on the, on the CIT. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's, that's a helpful way of, um, of looking at an, an exegetical yeah. outline. So let's talk a little bit about some mechanics, some practical things about writing, yeah. um, mm-hmm. writing an outline. I, I think I'm going to write an outline. We're going. I'm going to obviously. I'm going to read the passage. I'm preaching several times. I'm going to. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to think about. I, I'm kind of thinking first. How has Paul organized this passage? Right. What What is the f- argument he is making? How, how does this these two verses build to these two verses build to these two verses? Mm-hmm. And so let's say I got a passage of Scripture that's six verses long, okay? Um, it's not always going to easily break out. I got three points in my sermon, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the three points are point one is verses one to two, point two is verses three to <laughs> right, four, right. point three is verses five to six. Now, sometimes it works out like that, right? but a lot of times it doesn't. Sometimes it's point one is the first half of verse one. Point two is verse 1b to verse 4a. Mm-hmm. Point three is 4b to 6, right. or if you have a fourth point or something like that. So I'm reading this passage of Scripture. I'm going to write the CIT, and then I, I want, as you just said, I want the outline to unpack the CIT or to build up to the CIT to mm-hmm. kind of put it more positively, I guess. But I want the outline of the sermon to follow, I want the flow of my points to follow the flow of the passage of Scripture. Right. And that's where I think you read that passage and you just get pen and paper out and you start you start kind of trying to build that up. And mm-hmm. so you've got that skeleton, and now we're going to come, we're going to put meat on those bones mm-hmm. with my word study, with illustration, with application, transition, all that kind of type of thing. Right. So there's, there's some kind of known methods of building an outline. Yeah. So one of them is is uh, what some people call like the key word method. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture. I'm going to find some key words and see how those key words mm-hmm. help build the flow of the argument that the biblical writer um, is making. T- talk a little bit about your thoughts on that, on the key word idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it, that's going to come out of your exegetical work, your your mm. study of the passage. Uh, you're looking for key uh, thoughts, words, syntax that's that's being used by the author. That's going to help you to break that down. the The way I would look at the key word method is that the way I'm going to state my points, I'm going to use a key word that is found. Not maybe not the word is found, but the principle is found in the text. Maybe it's like the word um, uh, uh, substitute. So I, I use this example of like Colossians chapter two. Paul is speaking about uh, these substitutes that people are embracing instead of Christ. Mm-hmm. So they embrace intellectualism, or they embrace 
ritualism. So they, I would state the point of, you know, uh, sometimes we, uh, we substitute Christ with intellectualism. We substitute Christ with ritualism. We sub- mm-hmm. So substitute becomes that key word. And, and if you broke down Colossians chapter 2, you would see that principle that's being used there. Yeah, right. You know, like like if we we're going to follow this key word method, yeah. and you take Colossians 2 passage like you just said, mm-hmm. Paul is writing about these are the th- he's warning them like you just said. Right. These are the things that serve as bad substitutes for following Christ. Yeah. And you look at Colossians 2, starting with verse 8, you know, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Yeah. Uh, according to human tradition, according to the element or spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Yeah. So that's that intellectualism, philosophy and empty deceit. Yeah. Ritualism, according to human tradition, um, the elemental spirits, that could be the mysticism. And then he he keeps going here. If you go, and then verse 11, he talks about circumcision. Right. And then there's your legalism. Legalism. So you could have, if you're preaching that little part of Colossians 2, Substitutes is kind of your key word there. That's right. Okay, this passage, the CIT of this passage is Paul is warning them about substitutes that we kind of fall prey to rather than following Jesus. Exactly. Okay, there, there's exactly. your CIT. There's even your title of the sermon. Yeah. And now yeah. what, what did he do? Look at the order in which he laid it out. The first substitute is intellectualism, you know, mm-hmm. philosophy and vain deceit. The second one was the traditions of man. Mm-hmm. The third one was the mysticism, the elemental spirits of the world. Right. And then the legalism, the circumcision. Yeah. Okay, well, boom. Yeah. And and you've got a sermon really just almost out of about three or four verses there, really. Yeah. And and in your in your preaching and then in your sermon prep, you unpack each of those a little bit. Okay, yeah. what, what 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 does that intellectual intellectualism look like? What what's Paul really saying there? Yeah. And why would Paul be saying that to the Colossians? Right. And that's just hard exegetical work that you're doing yeah. right there. But yeah. the but the outline, there's a couple of things about that that the keyword method is really helpful with is that it keeps it keeps you consistent as you're yes. moving, right? Yes. There's that uh well, the word I'm uh, – I can't think of the word, but the word I'm, I'm digging up is consistency. It keeps you consistent in bringing you back to the CIT of the sermon. So some other key words – I mean, you could use – I mean, man, just get into a thesaurus and you could dig up all kinds mm-hmm. of words. You, maybe you're going to talk about these reasons or you're going to talk about these um, – the examples – uh, that that are being used, or, or perhaps it's the the five commands that Jesus gives us about discipleship, or you know something like that. You can use yeah. that word again and again in your points to keep bringing the people back right. uh, to that you're that you are uh, putting meat onto the bones of that central idea of the text. Yeah, intellectualism is a poor substitute. Blah blah. Ritualism is a poor substitute, and you could even change the word poor, like you just said. Get in there. Hey, let's do another one real quick. Yeah. Titus 2, 11 to 15. Yeah. 11 to 15. Yeah. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes on. Yeah. Um, 
a key word here is the word benefit. Yeah, right. All right what, are, what is Paul saying here to young Titus? Okay, these are the benefits of following Jesus. Yeah. And then now look at what Paul has done in the passage. Now unpack benefits. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And what, what, what's the first thing that I see right here in this? The first benefit in following Jesus is salvation. Yeah. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so where did I get salvation? I got it out of the text. Yeah. The right. benefit is a little bit more of I'm looking at this passage from 30,000 feet, yeah. right? Yeah. And say, hey, I've read these five verses. This is my pericope. This, this is my passage that I'm going to – I've broken off to preach. Yeah. My five verses – and that 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 key word's gonna come somewhere out of the CIT. Yeah. That CIT for the Colossians two right here is something to do with the benefits of following Jesus. Yeah, it's the provision of God. And so now I'm gonna follow Paul and I'm gonna build my outline. Okay, yeah. so the first benefit is salvation. Yeah. And then what does he say? Verse twelve starts with the word training. Yeah. Right. I could use training, I could use education, I could use equipping. Yeah. And then verse thirteen, waiting for our blessed hope. And now the word could be like anticipation. Yeah. So you you could have you could it's have benefits. a sermon that's the benefits of following, you know, or, yeah. or the benefits of God's grace, whatever you wanted to say. And here's your points salvation, education, anticipation. Yeah. And now, man, look what you've done. You follow the text. Yeah. The 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 whole shape and structure of your sermon is gonna follow the shape and structure of the text. Yeah. And honestly, I think if you do it like we're talking about it it makes writing the outline easier. Pretty easier. Yeah, pretty easy. Along with following yeah. the text. Let me say just a couple of cautions here. I learned this from my wife. <clears throat> Everybody knows that you learned preaching from your wife. <laughs> if, do not use as a key word the word things. Things. I'm going to share three things, things. with you today. Yeah. The one that I used the most that my wife told me, and she was spot on great on this, was I used the word idea. Let me share this idea with you. This yeah. is an idea. Okay. You need to move to something <laughs> a little bit more um, substantial, more concrete than things yeah. and ideas. Okay. That's so just good. because that's where we go when, we, when we're not really... Um, where we're not really thinking hard to discover what that keyword might be. Yeah. Okay. okay. Here, here, here's another method that is... Um, you know, sometimes called more like an analytical method. Mm-hmm. And I think it's – I think the keyword method is you're kind of starting right there at ground level and you're looking at your word study and that kind of thing that helps shape that outline. The analytical method I think kind of takes a little bit of a broader look. You're looking at the CIT. You're mm-hmm. analyzing it. And here you're thinking of more like components um, that are within the CIT – yeah. So I think, like, l- l- let's try to distinguish that. I think with your keyword method, you, you can have a keyword that almost will serve. It's related to the CIT. It almost kind of serves in the title of the sermon. And then I'm going to come up with these words from the text mm-hmm. that support that keyword. The analytical method is going to say, um, here are some major principles that we find within the CIT. Right. And sometimes that outline... Okay, a key word one is going to be, I got my title, and I kind of got point one, two, and three. Yeah. I think the analytical method can sometimes be, I got my title, 
And then I kind of have two major headings inside yeah. of that CIT. Yeah. And then I got a couple of little more subpoints. It's it's almost like it's almost like an outline that's a little bit more um, detailed, mm-hmm. if that's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Um, an, an example is uh, like First Peter um, three, First Peter one. 13 to 21. Mm-hmm. That is a passage of scripture where 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 Peter is talking about he's he's comparing the Christian life to that of a pilgrim. That's right. We are sojourners. Not meant for this world. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, you look at that you look at that text and um like here I'm I'm going to I thought I had it pulled up here. I'm I'm pulling it up as I'm actually talking. This is probably really bad uh podcast form. <laughs> But you know, it's, well, it's, let's just say that what you're doing is you're pulling up the text, and that's an important point. Is that once again, even with the analytical method, this has it needs to be taken from the text. Right. You're not dreaming up something. Yeah. So it's it's First Peter one thirteen to twenty one, and so it's verse thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, yet. Your hopeful, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, you who's called to the holy, you be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you be holy as I am holy. Uh, and if you call him as Father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited yep. from your forefathers, all, all that kind of so thing. So, Todd, all of these verbs are imperatives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're doing an analytical method here, you can think about the imperative of, of, of holiness in your pilgrim journey. Yeah. And then as he gets down and you f- follow the flow of the text again, yeah. there's this imperative of you have got to be holy. Yeah. And then what follows it in that text are the implications of of being holy. What comes about from being what holy. What comes yeah. about from that. Yep. And it, it, that would be more of an analytical method of building your outline. Is right. I've, I've read the passage, I've written my CIT, and now kind of thinking instead of these, um, uh, oh, man, what's the word I'm looking for? Not chronological, but, you know, just one versus oh, sequential. Three four, a sequential kind yeah. of thing. I'm kind of looking at it from a bigger picture. Yes, I'm right. looking at these eight, ten verses, and really I see two major ideas here. Yeah, or four major and ideas. And these or four or five verses kind of fit the the imperative. These yeah. five verses fit the implication. Yeah. And honestly, I think sometimes a passage of scripture will lend itself to you writing an outline where the keyword idea is a little easier with this passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm. The analytical idea is a little easier, you know, with that one. Now, let's just bring up here probably the most difficult sermons to outline and organize are narrative sermons. Absolutely. So you got a third one here that a lot of people call the the sermonic plot. Yeah. And when you're dealing with narratives, um, that that's – so how, how would you handle – when you were doing a narrative sermon, doing a narrative outline, how would you handle that? Well, I'm just – what, am I confessing my sin here? <laughs> uh, I am such an outline freak. I, I've just – you know, I, I get the whole sermonic plot where you're, you're looking for the thread of the plot and the building of the action, and then eventually it's going to 
uh, come to a sense of climax and resolution and and kind of there's a circle that goes around with the the whole thing I, I find it very difficult yeah. um, I think you know actually I think uh, there's some pretty skilled preaching in, in particular yeah. Old Testament narratives mm-hmm. uh, it probably behooves us to to use that sermonic plot yeah. way of thinking about it, yeah. um, of moving through things like the setting, the scene, the problem that's presented mm-hmm. in the narrative, mm-hmm. and then a resolution that comes along with that that problem. There's a reason why God has given us these narratives. Is to tell, it's not just to tell us stories. It's to tell us the human problem, mm-hmm. which is sinfulness, and the resolution to it. Right. Which is God's grace. Right. And sometimes those narrative sermons are hard to outline. They're hard to preach, let's face it. I, I think a narrative sermon, a narrative text is you know, one of the hardest to preach expositionally Yeah, for, for, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's such a big chunk of Scripture. Yeah. In fact, sometimes you want to preach a narrative sermon, and you know, if you read the whole narr- if you just read the whole text, you'd spend half your sermon just reading the text. Right. Those are the ones where you got to come. So I'm going to pull some of these verses here. Pull these verses here. Yeah. But I think when you're making your outline, a little touch easier narrative ones are if your outline kind of follows the plot twist, not twist, but the changes in the story. Yeah. You know, okay, he, he, this is the frame of mind he was in. Oh, and then this thing happened. Okay, so now here's point two, and then God accepts in, and this is point three. Yeah. It's like, it's like movements. Yes. It's the moving of the story along. Or almost like scenes or acts if you were in a drama or right. something like that. Right, um, You You can outline along those lines, I think, mm-hmm. you know, to some degree. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I hate to beat this drum again, but I think particularly in narratives, the key is the CIT. Yeah, you have to yeah. because that that is again that is the 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 destination that you're going to. And if you think about this in the uh, the narratives in the form of movements of story plot, then if you've got the CIT settled, then you know how to move that story along. And let's face it, one of the reasons why we have outlines is because as a, as a preacher, about every five to seven minutes of you talking, you have got to do something to draw Strong the people back, right. back in. Yeah. And, and an outline should do that. That's yep. why in when we talk about uh, an outline, or we talk about points and, and the way that they're worded, whether it's worded with principle or it's worded with application. We talk about um, we talk about illustrating the point. We talk about applying mm-hmm. the point. It, a lot of that is to draw yeah. people back in. Yeah. In the narrative, I think you have to be extra careful that you are pushing the plot along, that you don't get bogged down in any one point mm-hmm. so that you can be pushing the people towards the yeah. resolution. It's sometimes they're really difficult when it's a, it's a narrative that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, movement, scene changes in it. Yeah, it can be a little more shorter, simple. Honestly, I think parables can be like that. You know, most yeah, of the parables right. Jesus told it was a story that had a, yeah. a bang at the end. Yeah, you know, like a whammy at the end. Yeah, um, that's why I like the Gospel of Mark because you know, he's, his favorite words immediately. It reads like an yeah. action story, and they're short. Yeah. Well, Nathan. Talking to David. Yes. You're the man. 
That's the point that's, right there. That's and that, and, the and, resolution. And the punch is at the end. Yes. Preaching that text, it's like, oh, I'm just going to tell the story. And yeah. It, and your outline there may be more on uh, these are the applications of this. You yeah. Know? Um, I'm thinking about like what about like the Second Samuel nine and Mephibosheth. There's a narrative. Uh, here's Mephibosheth, who's Jonathan's son, who the Bible says is lame in both of his feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, the opening of that point one of on my outline. I'm going to do some background work there. Why? Yeah. Why is David asking the question at the beginning? Is there still a relative of Jonathan left that I can show kindness to? Yeah. Point one, background. Yeah. David made a pact with Jonathan to take care of the family. I'm going to unload all that. Yeah. And then you you have scenes in that one. So scene one is David talking to Zeba, tell me where he is. Scene two, Zeba goes out to Lodibar and gets Mephibosheth, yeah. brings him back. Scene three is Mephibosheth with David. Right. And then scene four is Mephibosheth eating at David's table every yeah. day. And how all that fits under the CIT of redemption in exactly. that story. You could say the same thing about the story of David and Goliath. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. works the same way. And I think that the nar- in narrative preaching, one of the keys is, as a pastor, you have, to be, you have to be patient and skilled with holding the climax, uh-huh. not giving it away at the front end, yeah. but building yeah. to it. At the yeah, end. and sort good. All right, we got we got to finish. Yeah, couple, couple of things from Brian Chapel's book. Um, yeah, on Christ Center preaching. Really about. good in this. One of the things that that Chapel says about when you're making an outline, the points. You know, mm-hmm. he says that they need to you you need in each point in your format what is true, and what and to what do. to do. Yeah, what is true in this text? You know, well, the text, all the text is true. But, you know, here, here are the truths from this text. Yeah. Here's what they call us to do. And now we come back to what we've beaten a dead horse on this before, imperative and indicative. And indicative, yeah. Imperative and indicative. Yeah. And the other thing that he says is Chapel uses this little um, uh, uh, acronym FORM, form. F O R M. That's right. The outline needs to be faithful to the text. It needs to be obvious from the text. It needs to relate to a fallen condition focus. And yeah. those of you familiar with Chapel's book, that's a key for him. You know, the fallen condition focus. How yes. is this text relating to that? And it's part of redemptive preaching. Yeah. The M is moving toward a climax. Yeah. Moving towards that CAT. Form faithful to the text, obvious from the text, related to a fallen condition focus. And moving toward a climax. Yeah. Those, those are some good advice, I think, on writing outlines right there. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, th- you know, obviously we could do several episodes just on on um, these outlines, and really that's kind of just uh, helping us through an exegetical outline. Sometime we'll do another one maybe on, on really bearing down on how to word your homiletical outline or how to take it from an exegetical outline to get yep. to a homiletical outline. Right, right. But this is good stuff. Yeah. Good helpful. Okay. Stuff. Hopefully that was uh, that was of some help to everybody. Right now, this is not always the easiest thing to do. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you listening and uh, hopefully catch you next time on the next episode. This episode of Feeding and Leading has been brought to you by the Cooperative Program and Oklahoma Baptists. Visit us at oklahomabaptist.org or your preferred podcast platform. Oklahoma Baptist, advancing the gospel together.